Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Uh, 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 good. Uh, and, and part of the reason why I'm good is we get to talk about the end of the Supreme Court term. Okay? We get to do the math. We get to do the math. We get to go ahead and, you know, think about funny and stuff. Opine. Yeah, opine and interesting <laughs> observations. Okay. You know, all those things that, you know, you know, we academic types. Okay. Enjoy doing. Yes, we do. Yes. So let's start with the basics. Yes. How many cases? Okay, so for the 2022-23 uh, Supreme Court term, uh, they heard and issued decisions in 58 cases. Now, okay. To put this in historical- Is that bunches uh, and bunches? No, my goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see how I set you up? No, yeah, you set question. me up so much and I, I, and, 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 and I couldn't even contain my laughter, right? <laughs> um, once again, this is the fewest number of decided cases coming from the Supreme Court in a term since the Civil War era. And last year was the fewest. So this yes. is the fewer fewest. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if they keep going this way and in 10 years, they won't be doing any cases at all. <laughs> Which a number of uh, judicial politics scholars have actually joked about. They're like, so when <laughs> what do we the, do when we get to zero? <laughs> when is the point that the United States Congress says, well, they're not deciding any cases. So why do they need a budget? Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay, um, so is that does that include the shadow docket? No, uh, and for listeners, um, if you don't know what the shadow docket is, um, uh, Nia and I discussed this in a previous podcast episode. The shadow docket is the docket of of cases where the Supreme Court decides a case, but without written briefs and oral arguments, and it's generated some controversy in the last uh, roughly you know, three to five years, because the court was deciding some rather impactful cases with the shadow docket. And the kinds of cases that we're talking about is there's one whole category of shadow docket cases that are appeals of death sentences given to those who are convicted of crime, who argue that their convictions or their trials violated the Constitution, right? Right. These are the or that the or that the death penalty itself violates but, the Constitution. And well, so but in those cases, those are usually heard not on the shadow docket. Oh, OK. The shadow docket death penalty cases are usually those as portrayed in the movies, those last minute appeals. I want to okay, stay of an execution, execution et cetera. For the phone to ring. Yes. OK, et cetera, et cetera. But the other ones are the appeals to lower federal court injunctions, okay, that have the effect of basically stopping either what the government has done the entire, you know, throughout the entire country, okay, or a particular section of the country, okay, and the government is arguing, hey, wait, whoa, 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 we have the authority to do this, and some lower federal court says, no, you don't, 
and the government appeals and the Supreme Court will then, you know, you know, hear, quote unquote, hear the case, but they don't hear it in the traditional process, right? Okay. But even the shadow docket shrunk this year. Less than 30 shadow docket decisions. Okay. A decrease of over 50% compared to just last term. Right? So even the shadow docket has shrunk, right? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's a lot less. I mean, a lot fewer cases. Wow. Okay. Because you're talking from 30 to 60 or from 60 to 30. Yeah. That's quite the drop. Yeah. Quite the drop. Yes. How were the uh, how were the decisions in terms of oh the votes oh uh, yes well or uh, I like to think of it the scores oh <laughs> God bless you right I mean <laughs> and I got to admit you know the, the 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 follower of sports at all levels okay just loves this because you know hey as a kid you know I couldn't wait to get the you know, afternoon newspaper to see the well, scores yeah, yeah right. Yes. See the or sports. the morning for the night games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yo, yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, that's the first thing you grab out of the paper. The, who won the Who won the You know, baseball game between two teams or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was back before the, your phone would just tell you. Yeah. You know the You know the infamous West Coast games, right? Right. Yeah, you know, right. That went that you went to bed before they were done. Done. You know. Yes. So then you, then you wake up and you're like, um, it, just it, like election results. Ah, when yes. I was a kid, election results, California never came in before I went to bed. Yeah, I never knew how Hawaii voted. Right. Okay. Hawaii, okay. Alaska, California, okay, straight to me. <laughs> yeah. Until you wake up the next morning and like, okay, who did what? Yeah. So uh, the scores. Contrary um, to the popular narrative um, in the media, and if I dare say among politicians, um, nearly half of all of the Supreme Court cases this term were decided nine to zero or eight to one. With Thomas being the dissent. Or Alito. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But usually <laughs> Thomas. We we will get to the, the, the most sense. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um the crabbiest justices. Yes. Um, okay, six threes. I think you said last time that there were five, but there are actually eleven. Yeah, because not all six three decisions by the court were on the ideological spectrum. Oh, so the five were on the ideological spectrum, and the six were people just going haywire and yes, voting in ways. To bed with random people that you would not. Yeah, I mean, okay. you know, we're constitutional law scholars and you know judicial. We're like policy. really, those two really? Yeah, like okay. how did that? How did that happen? Right. <laughs> okay. okay, so. So By five, way, they, we could point to and say that was clearly an ideological conservative versus, versus liberal. liberal. But six of them were a mishmash. Yes. And by the okay. way, folks, uh, listeners, there were no five to four decisions this term. So nothing None. close. None. None. That's okay, a little again, weird, isn't it? It's extremely weird. And again, it challenges the accepted wisdom, right? Because, you know, typically, you know, what the media focuses on are the five to four. You know, if one vote changed, right? Well, but also going back to the to the six threes, the media would have you believe that all eleven of those were on ideological lines. Yes. 
And they weren't. And you were saying that less than half of them. Yes, less were than on half. Ideological were. lines. Yes. That, that it's not that, it, that the justices are not caricatures of a liberal justice, just, a conservative, conservative justice. justice. Yes. That they that they are people with dimensions, right? Yes. Isn't that what the kids always say? I have dimensions. Yes. Um, <laughs> so look at people. you. Look at you listening to the younger folks. Well done. <laughs> That, so, so they, but they are multidimensional people who will say, right? There's, there's a legitimate argument to be had on, on a different viewpoint that I would necessarily be, or they, or what motivate, or the method that they used to look at the law or to look at the Constitution may lead them to be in agreement with somebody else who comes from it from a different perspective. But they achieve the same outcome, right? Right. You know, so, you know, to give you an example, you know, we talked previously that the two justices on the current Supreme Court who are the most adamantly opposed to qualified immunity for government officials are Sonia Sotomayor and Clarence Thomas. And on this current court, as I will discuss in just a few moments, they, those two, once again, okay, are on the ideological extremes. She's considered the most liberal, and she demonstrated it once again this term, and he's considered the most conservative, and he demonstrated it once again, okay, this term. But on that particular issue, okay, those two are vehemently opposed to qualified immunity, but for different reasons. Right. Okay, which so, proves that you can have, you, you can you, connect you, with people who people. are on very different yes. ideological, yes, spectrums to yourself. Yeah. Can I, can I note, yeah. can, or can I ask a question? Oh, sure, of course. So you know how you were saying six three and ideological lines and, and so, yeah. something you mentioned um, to me, and I can't remember whether you mentioned it record on recording or off recording because we talk a lot, um, is. Our friend Justice Gorsuch ruled in 11 cases since he's been on the court uh, involving Native American issues, and every single one of them he has consistently ruled with the Native American side of the case. Is that, that correct? Is, that is correct. But, but Justice Gorsuch himself is not Native American. Is that also correct? He is not Native American. Um, He's just highly sympathetic to the yes um, uh, to the to Native the, American arguments that are yeah, being yeah, made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and scholars have been trying to figure out, you know, what is the reason for, what is the foundation um, for his obvious, if you will, sympathy, um, understanding. Empathy, of, yeah, uh, uh, empathy of Native American um, uh, uh, issues, um, but since he's, he's the been, only one from the West, that may have something to do with it. It, it may have something to do with it um, because uh, before he became, he, before he got on the Supreme Court, um, he uh, served on the uh, Federal Appeals Court for the Tenth Circuit, um, um, and uh, and that's out in Colorado or that's where uh, he heard cases was out in Colorado. Um, but 
Um, and, and, and again, if you if you plot that on an ideological spectrum, as we political scientists do, usually support for Native Americans and Native American issues is coded as liberal. But in some of those cases, it wasn't. No, he, he and yeah. he and he's sorry. That's where. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. where I was going, which was his overriding concern is not his lib, his his conservative nature. Yeah, it is his empathy with the defendants, or excuse me, with the with the Native American side of whichever case. Yeah, I mean, in likewise, which I think is also fascinating, right? Yeah, like, I mean, in, in likewise, you know, somebody like. Clarence Thomas is such a big believer that the federal government only has limited enumerated powers that he will rule against the federal government, whether it's led by Republican presidents or Democratic presidents. If it can benefit states, he right, states' rights comes first. It comes first whenever he can make the argument. Yeah, when he, and, and 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 I remind my students, okay. Aside, I suspect from questions of liberal versus conservative. Conservative, yes. The question is, how is this? A, is this a state's right? Yeah. And if it is, then the federal government should not be messing in it. So, for instance, uh, in the case of so Gonzalo, they are weirdly, weirdly consistent, but in you got in their, but, in whatever their ideological yeah. thing is, is, or or what motivates them? What you know? Thank you. Uh, That's yeah, a better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, because you know, somebody like an Elena Kagan, right? You know, uh, Elena Kagan, in many ways, has now uh, assumed the position that. Uh, recently retired Justice uh, Stephen Breyer had, which was, if there is one justice on the current Supreme Court who is willing to defer to executive branch expertise, it's Kagan, right? Well, she was a member of the executive branch. She was a member of the executive branch. I mean, and let's not forget, at one period, one point in time, she was dean of Harvard Law School. Right. Okay. I you mean, she. Are- Partly what your history makes you. you. You know, she was the chief bureaucrat of the, you know, most prominent or one of the most prominent law schools, not only in the United States, but in the entire world. Right. So. So so who is in the majority the most? uh, The uh, justices in the majority the most. Brett Kavanaugh, 96 percent of the time, followed closely by the chief justice. John Roberts. Yes. So Kavanaugh runs with the herd. Yes. Who yes. runs least with the herd? <laughs> um, Clarence Thomas. This probably should not shock you, Nia. Yeah. As is, as you have noted, um, he is. Uh, uh, He's the curmudgeon. Yes. Yes, he is. Um, uh, by the way, I wanted to note that liberal justices were in the dissent by themselves in only five cases. That is a sh- significant shrinkage compared to the 14 in the previous Supreme Court term. Once again, that's evidence that the justices kind of sort of intermingle 
right? Okay. Mm. You know, two of the liberal justices might be in the dissent. You know, one might not be, okay? Oh, anyway, I see. Yeah, You're mixing yeah. it up a little. Okay. Now let's talk about the justices who voted most similarly and least similarly, right? Okay. So the ones who ju- uh, who voted the same the most, Roberts and Kavanaugh, 95%, Sotomayor and Kagan, 95%, Sotomayor and Brown-Jackson, nearly 95% of the time, right? You want to guess who were different the most? Well, it's got to be Thomas and somebody. Nope, 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 nope. No? It's Alito and Kagan. Okay? Okay. 60%. That's funny. Alito and Sotomayor, 62%. Ah. Okay. So he... He, he just, he's grumpier and more curmudgeonly than Thomas. In, he just he just doesn't express it as much with his dissents. I see. Yes. Okay. Most conservative. Okay. Um, and I checked this with a number of other scholars uh, late last night. Uh, Clarence Thomas, well over ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, of course. And most liberal, Sonia Sotomayor well over 90%. Okay? That makes sense. Yep. Yes. The median vote. Okay? And this, again, should give you a pretty good reflection of how the court has grown more conservative over the last, shall we say, four to five years. Median vote, John Roberts, followed closely by Kavanaugh. What do you mean by median vote? Okay, so if you put them on a spectrum, okay, and you went ahead and said, okay, who was most liberal and who was most conservative Um, and which justice is in the middle? It's mostly Roberts. Yes, it's mostly Roberts. Not super surprising as the chief. Yeah, yes. Right, part of that is political. Is him trying to... Yes, okay. Is him trying to get everybody to... Yes, Cobble together to majorities. Right. Yeah, cobble together majorities, right? Okay. And again, this is not surprising that those two are closely in the middle. They vote the same the most, right? And they would be in the middle the most. If yes. Roberts is leading Kavanaugh to the middle, yes. then Kavanaugh's going to stay in the middle. Or Kavanaugh may have been in the middle. To st- we don't know. And we don't know, but I mean... As, it, a, it, as a new-ish justice, I suspect that he also... And he had such a controversial um, yeah. I mean, t- yeah, typically justices who've had controversial uh, uh, confirmation hearings respond one of two ways. They either become – they desire and they take steps to become, you know, so part of the collective, right, that they don't generate any – additional controversy or criticism <laughs> right. Right? right oh i forgot that guy was on the co- court yeah right? yeah right that kind okay. of thing good thing or you do what clarence thomas has done go all the way to the other end yeah, so clarence- kavanaugh has done the nothing to see move along move yes. along it's all you know, fine right he's I, not I, making i'm more just controversies a, i'm than- just a member of the majority and remember he was in the majority the most this past term 
Right. And okay. and then you've got Justice Thomas who's like, I will stand out here and shout yes. in my field by myself, and you guys yeah. will just have to deal. Okay. Yeah. And speaking of which, the justice who wrote the most dissents this term, Clarence Thomas. Oh, that's not surprising. How many? Nine. Nine out of 58. Really? Hey. That's all? Yeah. I mean, I sorry. It feels like every time I turn around, Justice Thomas is dissenting about something. Well, I mean, Nia, he could also be in the dissent, but join somebody else's dissent. Oh, that's true. This is You're talking dissent. about ones yeah. he wrote by himself. So, yeah, these are the opinions. Okay. Right? So the most dissenting opinions were written by uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. The most concurrences, Justice Gorsuch. And usually Gorsuch. I agree with how we I agree with our answer, but not how we got there. Yes, because Gorsuch is a big fan. He's a textualist. So he will go ahead and hone in on how the words were interpreted. He's also a big fan of the role of justiciability known as strict necessity. He really dislikes when the court answers constitutional questions when they could settle a case by answering legal or statutory questions. Ah. Okay. Um, and, and we saw this, for instance, in the affirmative action cases, UNC and Harvard. Okay. He voted with the majority, but then he wrote a separate concurrence to explain how both of those universities' affirmative action programs could have been declared illegal. Right. Because they violated the 1964 Civil Rights Act, and they're not, and therefore not to have to have the discussion about whether they are constitutional. Constitutional. That's right. Yep. Oh, and side note for anybody who doesn't know the difference: illegal violates the United oh. States Code. Code. Yes. Unconstitutional is found to not be in line with what the Constitution, Constitution says. Right. Which are two different things. And the, uh, the role of justiciability role of strict necessity um, is designed um, to focus on legal issues, because if the court has misinterpreted how a law should be read or understood, that gives the political branches an opportunity to do what to the law, Nia? Fix it. Fix it, right? But if you want to fix the Constitution, what do you got to do? <laughs> you got to amend it. You got to amend it, right? And that's a whole more dramatic oh. process. <laughs> yeah, okay. Ask the EPA, ask the, uh, um, uh, what's the one that just, the, the, the it was oh, sunsetted. Lotus. No, it was oh. sunsetted or it would have, um, the, the. Oh, the, the ERA amendment. ERA, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that Virginia finally signed and it would have been fine, except it was sunsetted 30 years ago or whatever it is. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. you know, according to, you know, many constitutional law scholars, now if we want an, you know, equal rights amendment, we're going to have to, you know, go through Start that process. Over. Yeah, right? Yep. Um, uh, the majority opinions were pretty evenly divided. And, and again, that's J-Rob, right? He's no, his yes. people... Yeah, because remember, he was in or the majority. He, or technically, he punishes people, one could okay. argue. <laughs> okay, but he was in the majority 95% of the time, which means, and this is one of the few perks that comes with being chief justice, if you're in the majority as the chief justice, you get to assign the majority opinion, 
which meant that 95% of the time, he got to assign the majority opinion. And J-Rob spreads the love, okay? Because the most majority opinions, okay, seven each were written by Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch. The least number of majority opinions was Alito at five. So think about it, okay? Pretty much every justice wrote either seven, six, or five majority opinions. Nobody at their conference table can go ahead and say, you're playing favorites. Uh-uh. Okay. Nope. So let me ask you a question about something you just said. Yeah. If if uh, J-Rob is not in the majority. Yes. Let's say that he's in the minority. Yeah. Does he get to decide who writes the majority opinion, or do they no. fight it out amongst themselves? No. The, the way the, 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 way the uh, Supreme Court's uh, internal rules operate, um, if the chief justice is not in the majority, then the senior most associate justice in the majority gets to assign the majority opinion. I did not understand that. I thought he assigned all of them. No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. So on the current Supreme Court, and when I say senior, I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about seniority on the court. The current order will would be Roberts first, okay? Because he's the chief justice. Then Thomas, okay? Okay. Because remember, he was appointed by Bush 41. Right. Okay. Um, um, then it goes to uh, Alito, Bush 43. Right. Then Sotomayor and Kagan appointed by Obama. Okay. Right. Then it would be Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, and then Brown Jackson. So let's face it. Neither Brown Jackson or Coney Barrett should expect to be assigning a majority opinion. <laughs> Not for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's face it. After Sotomayor and Kagan, I mean, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, and Brown Jackson, you all ain't assigning majority opinions anytime soon right. in your tenure on the court. I mean, I hate to say it, but that ain't happening, right? Who asks the most questions? Okay, so during oral arguments, this is no, this, wait, wait. Okay. Can we yeah. side note here that until two years ago, Justice Thomas had never asked a question ever on the entire No, no, not ever, field. but he had gone But he they were very very, very, very few. He, he went right. Like, he's very he circumspect was, about yeah, he, about asking questions or yeah, speaking. He went over argument. ten years. He had a ten year period, okay, where he never asked a question during oral arguments. In fact, it only got broken. Uh, the first oral argument after Scalia died. He actually asked a question after Scalia died. But even then, he hardly ever asked questions. Where it changed was when the pandemic hit, Neo. Because when the pandemic hit, the court went to remote teleconferencing oral arguments. And he really liked that. Really liked it. Well, it because, seems to me like he doesn't have to compete 
they took turns. They took turns, and they've continued that process since they've returned in person. Ah, right? okay. They've re- they've continued that process to where they go in, okay, order. Because didn't they used to just talk over each other? And- oh, they talked over each other all the time, right? And so uh, part of it was that he just doesn't like to talk over. No, he is very self-conscious uh, about his um uh dialect i mean he he if you read his memoir um um he mentions the fact that he has always been very self-conscious uh about his rural i think southern georgia dialect okay well and also the optics of a black man having to yell over other people. People, yeah. I mean, yeah. He doesn't want to engage in that either, mm, mm, mm. right? I mean, I can see that angry black man yelling narrative yeah. coming out of crap people who would want to make that make yeah. hay out of something. Like yeah, that. but on the current, on the current yeah, court. So who's the who's the because it the used ch- to be Sotomayor, right? She would ask like. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. 10,000 questions. He would yeah. stand up and say, good afternoon, justices. And she would go, really? Is it afternoon? I mean, like, you're like, whoa, all right. <laughs> I mean, one of the pleasures of, of, of following the court, like I have for most of my career, is that there was a period of time when the Supreme Court had Scalia, Kagan, and Sotomayor. <laughs> okay. Who just fought to ask questions. Oh, okay. Those three, okay, were... <laughs> all the time talking right they were cutting off attorneys they were cutting off colleagues okay (laughs) and again from somebody who was born and raised in an you know a northeast ethnic family where you know we talk that we talk that way you know at family meals we talk amongst each other that way right okay i was just like oh this is so comfortable right you know this is (laughs) You know, this takes me back to my youth, right? Okay. (laughs) But interestingly enough, on the current court, okay, in terms of the number of questions asked, but also the length of time during oral arguments occupied by their questions, and it wasn't even close, Nia, there's like a 30% gap between this justice and the next most talkative justice. Now, you've seen my research notes. You, Truth be told, were you surprised who it was? Yes. Okay? Yes. And who, and who was it? It is Justice Brown Jackson. Yes. And I was surprised by that because usually the freshman justice sits quietly and watches the, the goings on. Yes. Because they're trying to figure out the politics. They're trying to figure out the social. Yeah, the behavioral norms. Yes. Yeah. And and the bar in front of the Supreme Court is different than any other bar, right? They were trying, they they tried to, and boy, she just jumped in. She just jumped in. She has lots and lots of questions. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's, I think that's awesome. Yes. Maybe Um, she will set a different tone for what, because I'm sure she was thinking, I have so many questions about how this works and why you people are doing it this way. I don't know. I, I good for her. And, and again, as somebody who teaches college classes, right. I love it when I have students who ask questions, right. right. Okay. You know, for me, that's why the, you do the job. Yeah. You know, for me, the best part is where I have to go ahead and tell the collective, I'm sorry, guys, 
I'm going to have to cut off questions. We have to get to some material, right? But right. nevertheless, but it, okay. those that's those spark the most interesting conversations. conversations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Somebody okay. has a question. Yeah. Hey, so um, I asked you if you would tell me the ages of the justices. Yes. And you ever so kindly um, accommodated yeah. me on that. Yeah, going into this current term, the, again, 2022-23 <clears throat> uh, Supreme Court term, uh, and I might be slightly off like by half a year because these were the ages of when the term began, okay? Right, so people may have had birthdays. But yeah, they may have had birthdays, but when this They term didn't get younger. Yeah, they, they certainly... <laughs> They didn't get younger, but they yeah, may be a year older. Than yeah, yeah, they yeah. Okay. But um, uh, uh, going in uh, uh, order of uh, oldest to youngest, uh, the oldest Supreme Court Justice is Clarence Thomas. Um, he was 74 when the term began, followed close by, closely by Justice Sam Alito, 72. Then we have a couple justices um, um, who are 68. Uh, Sonia Sotomayor and uh, Chief Justice John Roberts. Uh, then there's a gap, um, a six-year gap. Justice Elena Kagan is 62, or was 62 when the term began. Then there's another five-year gap. Um, uh, Kavanaugh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh is 57. Um, Gorsuch, 55. Brown Jackson, 52. And our youngest justice, is uh, Justice Coney Barrett at 51. Yes. So am I correct that five of these people are retirement age or older, meaning 62 yes. or yeah. older? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of Social Security, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just putting out there that there, need to be a, there needs to be a limit on service to the Supreme Court. Oh, so you're, you're talking. It may not need to be. I don't know exactly, but I've been thinking a lot about this in terms of how long people stay on the court, how long they serve. Yeah. I loved Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She stayed too long on the court. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there needs to be a, you know what? Thanks. You're 70, you're 75, and we appreciate your service, but it's time for you to retire. And and I say that because there's no test we can give that would legitimately figure out who is who is whose mental acuity has slipped and who hasn't and all that other kind of stuff. The way you can with a driver's license, right? Like when olds go in, and I can speak for as an old, when we go in to be tested, they test your eyes, they test your reflexes, blah blah blah. Yeah, can you yeah. actually do those things? Yep. Uh, we we can't we don't want to make it like that, but maybe if we just said the cutoff age, you can't be younger than thirty five to serve on the court, and you can't be older than seventy five. And by the way, I feel that way about the presidency as well. Or I mean, in or in regards to uh, federal judges, um, I always thought there was merit to uh, term limits. Or that, I would take term limits. Particularly because this is the unelected branch of government, right? I never, I never understood term limits in regards to elected positions. No, I mean because because that's the, called voting. Yeah, that's called voting, but we don't get to vote on the federal judges, right? right. And in the in or yeah, yeah, okay. But you know, think about. I'm just, I'm just going to use Clarence Thomas. I'm not picking on him, but right. let's face it, 
Clarence Thomas was appointed by Bush 41. Okay. I How believe. has the world changed since then? So I believe that was what, 1989-90. So let's just say it was 1990. I mean, I could look it up, but, you know, for our purposes, 1990, right? He's been on the court already 33 years. Right. Okay. 33 years. Theoretically, okay, because unless he got impeached, okay, um, there's no other effective way to get uh, a federal judge off the bench unless they retire or die, okay, he could stay on for, you know, let's say 10 more years. Right. It was 91, by the way. Oh, okay. It was 91. Okay. So he's been on the court 32 years, right? right? He serves another 10 years. And again, with medical signs, okay, he theoretically easily could. I mean, he is a member of the federal government. He gets some of the best health care in the world. And he appears to be in relatively decent shape. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, uh, I mean. Uh, he goes on vacation to yeah. outdoor activities. activities yeah. I mean, right. I mean, so, I mean, so, I mean, and, 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 and again, you want them old enough. So that they can actually bring a wealth of experience and knowledge, okay, to the job. Right. Okay. On the other hand, at some point in time, you got to go ahead and say, all right, you've done your service. Okay. We thank you for your service. Um, and I'm not saying that we have to be as, you know, indelicate as here's your gold watch, now leave. Okay. <laughs> you know. You know, the old stereotype of how, you know, corporate America used to treat, you know, longstanding employees. Right. Okay. But at the same time, you know, Ruth, ba you know, Justice, you know, uh, uh, Bader Ginsburg, she had four bouts of cancer. Right. And I admired her ability to, you know, recover from cancer. Right. But at the same time, okay, you had done your service. You had been a federal judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, a long you know, career on the United States Supreme Court. I'm not saying that she couldn't do her job, but I mean, all accounts, even her last term. OK, she was, you know, um, very inquisitive during oral arguments, was writing opinions. OK, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, uh, the, the age issue is something that needs to be taken into consideration. And I'm even willing to go ahead and consider term limits, particularly if we set up a schedule, okay, to where, okay, um, we stagger them. Right. So theoretically, no one president or no presidential party. Yeah, presidential party would get all the appointments. Right. Right. I mean, you know, increase the likelihood that we're going to get some diversity in regards to nominations, but also which party might be in control of the Senate. Because as you and I have discussed in previous podcast episodes, you know, that goes in cycles, right? Right. So you can't control for all the variables. And, and again, and again, the other and it, part of that is, is the justices, because they're not given an endpoint. Some of them feel like they have to serve until they drop dead. Like, yes. 
Yeah. They really feel that pressure. Whereas if you were hired under a 20 year appointment. Yeah. Right. Then you would say, I've done my 20. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm going gone. to retire with dignity. And I, it gives me permission to retire. It gives, it gives me, per- me permission to not yeah, feel it, like I have to stay here until the bitter end. And, and let's say, for instance, you're a newly appointed justice of the Supreme Court. You know, it may take you a couple of years to get used to the weightiness of the cases. Okay, the workload, right? How to manage, you know, four clerks, how to get along with you know, the other scorpions in the bottle, the infamous metaphor, right? right? But that still gives you plenty of time to master your job and have some sort of impact on the law, right? I mean, if you can't go ahead and make a difference in 20 years, then you probably weren't all that good as a justice anyway, (laughs) right? I mean, I'm sorry, okay? But, you know, I'm thinking about my own career as a college professor, Okay, the first couple of years on the job, okay, I was learning how to be a college professor, right? right? But after the first couple of years, I kind of sort of figured out how, how to do the job, what I wanted to accomplish with the job, right? Um, and, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, you, you, make a, you, you make a good point here. The other thing to take note of here is, um, uh, to me, I'm fascinated by the generational I mean, because you got a bunch of Gen X's on there. Yeah, you got a bunch of Gen X. And then you got a bunch of boomers. Yeah, you got a bunch of boomers, right? (laughs) I mean, you got easily four boomers on here, right? Right. Thomas, Alito, Alito, Sotomayor, and Roberts. And then that six year gap between Sotomayor and Roberts and Kagan really jumps out at you, right? I mean, because, you know, Kagan kind of sort of you know, straddles the line between the boomers, but then you got Gen X, right? Right. I mean, and you got a cadre of Gen X, right? Okay. And and, and, you, and poor J-Rob trying to manage. Oh, yeah. Right. Both of those generations on the court at the same time. The other thing that's pretty fascinating to me, Nia, is that almost all of these justices, with the exception of Sotomayor, all have children. And this really demonstrates how Americans are having children much later in life. I mean, even Thomas adopted a grandnephew, okay, um, you know, relatively, you know, late in his life, right? You know, Alito's kids, I believe, are now in college, right? But he's got college kids. He's 72. You know, Roberts, I think, has two children, and I think they're, like, now in college. Okay, uh, Kagan also, uh, like Sotomayor, has no children. But Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Brown, Jackson, Coney Barrett all have children, and a couple of them have young children, right? Coney Barrett has young children, doesn't she? Yeah, Coney Barrett has young children. I mean, Kavanaugh's kids, I believe, are, like, in middle school. Okay. (laughs) So they waited later. Yeah, to have children. Start their families. I mean, and this again demonstrates, uh, you know, just demographically how, how it um, works in the U.S. Yeah, how increasingly. Now, yeah. The question there is another question of talk about a high pressure job. <laughs> and you're going to be that job for the next. I mean, if, if Coney Barrett's health holds, 
she's going to be in that job for 45 years. Yeah. At that pressure level. Like, that also seems like a not wise thing to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you make, I don't know. Yeah. You so make your I'm going to be, yeah. when I'm president, I'm going to fix that. I haven't said that in a while. No, you haven't. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. I don't don't be thinking, listeners, that my my dictatorship needs have gone away. Yeah, and I've and, just and, been sublimating them into other things. But yeah, I mean, in in in, in me in my designated role in this podcast, I will be the member of Congress that says, "Okay, that's a lovely idea," but <laughs> Congress may have some things to say about that. Yeah, and um, I'll bra- I'll browbeat y'all. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. So some other observations, Nia, you and I uh, off recording. But even they have been slower. Even on recording, have noted, and other commentators have noted this. The Supreme Court, not only are they taking fewer cases, but good Lord, are they taking forever to decide them. They were otherworldly slow. Low this term. Like right? if, when you see stars moving across the sky, <laughs> they were going faster. Yes. By a magnitude than what this court was doing well i mean we just got nothing nothing from them for months yeah usually what happens most supreme court terms they hear a bunch of cases in october and november and then they crank out like four or five decisions you know in early december before they go on vacation for christmas we didn't get our first one until nearly the end of January. Yeah. We were like, what was going on? <laughs> and, then, and, they, and then they came out in like, you know, dribbles, right? Right. You know, you know, you, 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 you turn we on. complained and they released three. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. For you know, it's this. like turning on that faucet uh, uh, alongside your house that you're not entirely sure still operates. <laughs> and, and the water. A little comes, bit first. Yeah. yeah the, the, a little bit of water comes out and you're like, is that it? And then, like, you know, somewhere the block. Three months later, later in June. Yeah. Okay. All of a sudden, it comes on like full bore, and you're just like, what the heck's going on? Right. They got to work on that. Right. Yeah. I mean, J Rob. Better pacing, J Rob. Better yeah, pacing. Yeah. J Rob's going to have to go ahead and, 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 and you know, in, in September when they have their big long conference, he's going to have to go ahead and say, okay, guys, okay, last, last term. Okay was was unacceptable okay we need to go ahead and crank out some decisions in december and january because i'm not entirely sure any of us let alone the public okay can handle us waiting to release nearly half of our decisions in the month of june right so really slow pace another observation and you and i again have talked about this off recording this is a really fascinating court because in some ways it runs counter to the observation, particularly in the media, that this is a court that's divided conservatives versus liberals. And I would argue that, yes, we saw that with some of the late term decisions, you know, like the affirmative action cases the the loan forgiveness case the ones they really held yeah okay you know the 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 ones are you know that kind of sort of reflected division within american society right right 
But in a lot of these cases, the division isn't among conservatives and liberals. It's still within what is labeled conservative. And I'm just throwing out a hypothesis here, and I'll be interested to see if in future terms evidence supports the hypothesis or not, Nia. But my hypothesis is we have a division between, shall we say, more moderate or institutionalist conservatives. And I would place into that group, okay, Roberts, Kavanaugh, and to a certain extent, Coney Barrett, okay? They're definitely conservative. Let's be very clear, right? If you place their votes on an ideological spectrum, they're definitely more conservative than, say, for instance, the majority of the justices of the Warren Court of the 1950s and 60s, right? But they're, and you like this word, they're incrementalist in how they want to change the law, right? They're incrementalists. Yeah. And I think that is the true division, is between yes. people who are willing to wad up the entire Constitution and throw it over their shoulder and be like, we're starting over, and people who are like, no, we're going to change four words at a time. Like, we're going to make these tiny changes. Is that where you were going with this? Oh, no, you, you, you're exactly, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think that's exactly, there's those people who are like, oop, oop. And then there are people who are like, wow, like they want to go, Thomas wants to go all the way back to states' rights only. We don't even need a federal government. I don't know what we're doing here with the federal constitution. Yeah, you made a, you made a comment to me the other day. And again, this was off recording listeners, but Nia went and said, that if the Constitution was being proposed today, Clarence Thomas would have been uh, a, a firm, um, energetic member of the Anti-Federalists. Yep. <laughs> okay. I mean, he's he would have. He. Just I mean, he's thought... extremely skeptical of federal government power. Okay. Um, and you know, and if there is, you know, a question as to which level of government can do it, in Clarence Thomas' mind, it's always states. It's always states, right? Right, and that's where same the with Alito, same uh, with Gorsuch. Gorsuch, right? So those six, the three liberals tend to be more or less. Oh, they're they're in unison. Yes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, more yeah. or less. I mean, yeah, occasionally they get yeah, there's, there's a, a little bit of an extreme yeah. one way or another. Yeah. yeah, but for the most part, they kind of roll together, and then you've got the six, which sort of are divided into three and three. So really, technically, the court is three, three, three. Yes. Yeah. And I agree and, with you. I think your hypothesis is going to turn out to be one that scholars support as we go forward. And, and, and again, this is not a brand new argument, Nia. I mean, it, it, as far back as, you know, the Rehnquist court of the 1980s and 90s, you had scholars like, you know, Mark Tushnet um, in his book, uh, A Court Divided, where he said that the Rehnquist court um, was populated by a majority of justices appointed by Republican presidents, but they were divided, okay, you know, between um, uh, more traditional Republicans like O'Connor and Kennedy and David Souter versus what he labeled movement conservatives, you know, the ones where you just described as, you know, they don't mind, you know, just, you know, 
you know, grabbing the Constitution or a law and saying, okay, yeah, that's BS. I'm throwing it out with the trash. Let's go back to first principles, right? Okay. Right. You know, and, and, and on the Rehnquist court, that was Chief Justice Rehnquist um, and Associate Justices Scalia and Thomas. And I would argue that this court is more divided or, or maybe more publicly divided. Divided, yeah. In that way. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah. what it does, what it does have the effect of doing is watering down that six-person majority. Yes. And, 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 because and, like when you have elections where you have a bunch of candidates running for an office, nobody gets the majority of the vote because you have a bunch of candidates running for office. That's why you hold primaries to get it down to a number that there can actually be a person who comes out with enough yeah. to be elected. Yep. So that, that's that's had an interesting effect on the court, this sort of when you it, divide it, out that way. And you see it in some of the opinions, particularly when um, the, the majority is comprised of, let's say, for instance, Roberts, Kavanaugh, and the three liberals. Because to maintain the majority, right, the opinions have to be written in such a way as to not offend anybody on the majority. But the result is... And in, in, in Nia's heard me bemoan this, and I've had students in my various classes who have heard me say this. These opinions, in some cases, are so muddled and, you know, almost impossible to decipher. Yeah. Uh, listeners, the word that, that he used for Kagan's most recent opinion was impenetrable. impenetrable. Yes. Okay, I'm just like the arguments are just so tortured that you're like, I don't even know where we are now. This yeah, is, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, in, in Texas versus the United States, which we discussed in a previous podcast episode, this was a challenge to how the Biden administration was enforcing immigration law, right? And Kavanaugh wrote the majority opinion, um, and it was so narrow that many of us who are constitutional law scholars were just like, so does it only apply to this case? Right. Okay. Right. Did, did Right. What's the actual answer here? Yeah, you know, it's been really complicated for, for you guys, for constitutional scholars to figure out where the application, how far it goes. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and think about the difficulty for lower courts or government agencies who are trying to implement this, right. right? Okay. I mean, even uh, the, the case from, you know, uh, your home state of North Carolina, Moore versus Harper, right? The infamous independent state legislative theory case. Well, the court majority said that the theory, okay, is not supported by the U.S. Constitution. Thanks for sharing. But then Robert slips in a little, you know, a few paragraphs at the end. It says, yeah, but state Supreme Courts, you know, don't go overboard in how you review. And you're right. like, okay, well, then what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I mean, he actually. It's like your parents saying, be back on time. And you're like, what does on time mean? Yes. Or, you know, or as my daughter has said to me, Nia, because I will tell her, yeah, sure, you can do that, just but just be careful. And she goes, well, what does be careful mean? Right. And I'm like, 
well, don't get hurt. She goes, well, I'm not in control of everything. How that I get hurt. Right. Yeah. And I was just <laughs> like, oh yeah, that was, that, that was pretty stupid. Yeah. And it's like, kind of like when you do the broad, be good. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you're leaving that wide open for interpretation, Station. which by the way, may I say in our last five minutes, we cannot not observe uh, that the court has had a few ethical questions this year. Yeah. So the whole be good may not be enough of a of a um, yeah, admonition uh, for the court. Yeah, that's a really good segue because this is the last thing that I think you and I both think the Supreme Court going forward needs to address. They've right? got to fix it. Okay, and um, and, and listeners, what we're uh, referencing here is that the media over the last few months has reported, uh, particularly focusing on justices Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, of various ethics issues that they've had, right? Receiving gifts from, you know, wealthy individuals, not reporting those gifts. The Supreme Court, and in a couple instances, um, Justice Alito, okay, actually, you know, you know, uh, um, speaking to the press and saying, my interpretation was I was not required to report these things. Well, whatever the case may or may not have been, whatever those ethics rules were or how you interpreted them, that doesn't work. Right. Right. Okay. The court has looked particularly bad and out of touch. Yes. On this issue. Yeah. They have looked they have looked like they were trying to be sketchy even when they weren't trying to be sketchy. And I honestly do not believe that either Justice Thomas or Justice Alito was trying to be sketchy. I think that there really is a question about what the rules are for Supremes and what they should be, what their ethical conduct should be. And what they should report. Because again, and when you leave that open to interpretation, your enemies will find fault with you. And like, you're going to look bad. And, right. and, and, and no matter is, what. And, and listeners, to put this in a larger historical context, this has been an issue for the United States Supreme Court since the 1960s. Yeah, they need to fix it. Okay. I mean, Justice Abe Fortas lost his chance to be the chief justice and then ended up resigning. Okay. Justice Douglas. Okay. Uh, the House of Representatives were considering articles of impeachment against him, okay, for income that was not reported and how it was reported and who gave it and who didn't. We've had justices, okay, upon their retirement have received large financial gifts, right? We've had justices, okay, participate in cases when their spouses or family members have been members of law firms. Okay. Or involved in the case in some way. Yeah. Okay. Just um, the all bad channel. Okay. This needs to get cleaned up because yes. the alternative is Congress passes laws that also apply to federal judges. And at that point, Nia, we have a potential constitutional crisis. Right. Okay. Can they pass a rule Law that, that, that affects the behavior of federal judges? Okay, because the federal courts have been very, very consistent 
and not ruling on, not even weighing in on rules, particularly ethics rules, okay? Within the, the other, other branches. The other branches, right? Right. Okay. So if the Jay Supreme would never dream of telling the president he couldn't accept a gift from the prince of Saudi Arabia. As long as Congress says that that is perfectly acceptable they, behavior, they, they stay out of it. Yeah, the, so, then the, yeah, the Supreme Court blesses it and says, you know, go with ever, right? Right. But this is where I think the court has an opportunity to show some leadership. Okay. Uh, well, and they've got to get out ahead of it because people are upset. Yes. There's, Your average everyday person. Who is and, saying, wait a minute, how can you possibly be neutral? And right now, okay, liberals are enjoying this because most of the press reports have been about, you know, Thomas and Alito. But I caution liberals, right? Okay. The pendulum there is other side to that coin. Yeah, the pendulum swings both ways. Right. Okay. And if we know anything about the backgrounds of these justices, is that they belong and have belonged to elite institutions and have operated and interacted with other elites for most of their professional life. Right. Okay. There is a good chance that it's not only Thomas and Alito, but other. Right. Okay. Perhaps even beloved former justices. Okay. Whose exactly. legacy, legacies and reputations will get stained once. Okay, media for the other side of the ideological spectrum starts digging. Right. right? So it would nobody... be best for J. Rob to get out ahead of it. Yes. By making some sort of yes. ethics standard. Yeah. Come up with an ethics standard. Okay. Clarify what needs to be reported because this is one of the big issues. Because it looks like Thomas and Alito, okay, were trying to cover up the fact that they were hobnobbing, you know, with some wealthy folks. Right. Okay. Well, if you go ahead and publicly disclose it, we then still you can't might be accused of cover up. Yeah. We still might not like and it. And it's always the cover up. It's, yes. It's if, never have, the thing. It's always the nothing? cover up. But we learn nothing, nothing from Watergate. It's never break into any place you want to break into, but don't lie about doing it. That's the thing. Don't about, try to cover up. And <clears throat> even if there is the perception, of a cover-up, even if there isn't one, but there's the perception of one. Yeah, and people, listeners... Man, people do not let that go. And, and listeners, just a little bit of foreshadowing. We're going to be doing um, a, a, a series of, quote-unquote, favorites, right? You know, right. okay? And one of the episodes is, uh, <laughs> concerns Nia and my favorite political scandals. And there's a theme... Okay, among right. many of those scandals, which is the cover-up is always, almost gets always, you. gets the participants. Yep. Right. Okay. Yep. I mean, because and, and even even if it's not a cover-up, the appearance of cover of a cover-up. Right. Okay. Just it, don't. I mean, yes, and sometimes I think that you know these really smart. Okay, really. It's like they have a blind spot for. The, the, that how the public perceives sees this stuff, and the Supreme Court used to be used to enjoy enormously high public approval. ratings. Yes, public approval ratings, and now not so much. 
Yeah, they're. Below I mean, they're 50- not as low as Congress. Yeah, I mean, they're. Yeah, they're below fifty percent. They're not obviously as low as Congress. But that's should be concerning for them. Okay, they're higher than the last two presidents. Because let's face it, the last two presidents of public approval ratings. Okay, wow. But right. nevertheless, the fact that they're below fifty percent, okay, should concern them because a whole bunch of the court's power rests on its legitimacy. They can't run for another election and say, hey, look, the public reelected me, so all of our opponents, you know, suck it, right? right? They can't say it. Right. Okay. So they got to be, you know, seen as above the fray. And right, right. now, they're not. They're not. Yes. They're not on the high roads. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Anyways, thank you, Nia. Thank you, yes. Augie. This has been awesome. Yep. And we're we're doing one more, which is our what's coming next. Yes. So we'll see you for that episode. Yes, a little preview. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.